We're in a series in the letter to the Ephesians that we are calling Made and Crafted. Um, The book of Ephesians is about how God is crafting, how God is designing with intention a community of people in the world to, to be the fullness of Christ in a particular place. And that's what we're looking at and how we've been looking at this book. Last week we read Paul, the apostle, the author of this letter, his great prayer for the church and how he prayed that our hearts would be enlightened. We talked about that last week so that we would know the hope of his calling, the riches of community, and the power of the resurrection. Last week I said that the second point, the riches of community, that we would, uh, <clears throat> we would take this week to, to talk about it. And this is the way Paul prays. He says, I pray that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And I said last week, let's hold off on that point and then save it for this week today. Um, and at the end of that same prayer, in Ephesians 1, at the end of chapter 1, uh, he unpacks a little bit what he means by that, about the church being this. And this will be the subject of our time this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. This will be our text this morning. And then I will pray. So Ephesians chapter Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, I'll read. It says, this is the end of Paul's prayer. And God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church, which is his body, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. This is God's word. Let's pray this morning for illumination. And I feel particularly led to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do all of this for your glory, God. Today, teach us, enlighten us, open the eyes of our heart that we might see the riches of this church and what you're doing through your church globally. In Christ's strong name, amen. Amen. Today I want to talk about the church. And when I say church, I mean this church. But I also mean the church. Because for many of us, when I say church, this specific church is not all that comes to mind. For some of us, Reality San Francisco is your first church you've ever been a part of, which is crazy for me to think about. That when you think of the church, the only living context, because you've came to faith in this church, is this congregation. But for others, probably most of us in here, this is like your fifth church, our fifth church. Or maybe our 15th church or something. So when I say, I want to talk about the church, you have a wealth of memories to draw from. Some good, and some probably very, very bad. I've said this before publicly, and I'll say this again, that I love the church. That's why I am a minister, a pastor. I've always loved the church ever since becoming a follower of Jesus as a teenager. 
I love how there is young and old and how there's a built-in legacy project always going on in every church. How the old are called and privileged to pour into the young. And I'm a recipient of that. Of the people who poured into me and taught me when I was young about the faith about, and modeling it for me and pulling me up and in toward Christ. And when I think about that, I realize that when I was 16 years old and new to the faith, the, quote, older people in my life who were pouring into me were the same age as I am right now. <laughs> it, that brings a lot of emotions up, but I don't have time to talk about all of them. It, but it makes me, more than anything, it makes me thankful to God that I still get to be a part of this ongoing legacy project, the older pouring into the younger. And still today, I have older people who pour into me. Older means something different to me now than it did then, but whatever. And when I think of the church, I think of stories from our church, like, like Seme, who is one of our missionaries, who shared his testimony just a few weeks ago, who just got asylum here in San Francisco as a persecuted Christian. Yes. Praise God. We prayed a lot about that. God has answered his prayers. And he got asylum here as a persecuted Christian from the Middle East. And he had a party last night and he was filled with people that were from his church family and church community. And he seen his face light up, just so excited that to be a part of Jesus' church. He loves, this is his family, he says. There are lovely stories like that in our congregation. But then for every one of those, we have stories of how the church has broken our hearts how we've been wronged by people in the church, how churches destroy the lives of people. I've always found it weird that I meet a lot of pastor's kids in San Francisco. Like, there are a strange number of PKs, pastor's kids. <clears throat> they, have, they have a nickname there, so common. Um, there's a strange number of pastor's kids who come to this church. I don't know if that's because there are really a lot of pastors in the world who have a lot of kids, or there's like a disproportionate amount of pastor's kids that end up in San Francisco. But I've met PKs who have warm memories of the church they grew up in. <clears throat> when I talk to them about it, they have warm memories of the church, but I meet other ones who can only remember how badly the church treated their dad and their mom, and they've never really gotten over it. And I don't have time to get into the epic tragedies the church has been responsible for throughout history, but maybe that's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the church, is the epic tragedies that the church has been a part of, the scandals the church has been a part of throughout history. This last week I was with a, one of my dearest, closest friends and we were driving around the city and listening to John Mayer, his bluesy stuff, his good stuff, right? <laughs> and um, that song, uh, Slow Dancing in a Burning Room, came on and we looked at each other and we were like, man, this would be, make a great title for a book about the church. And that might sound really morbid. You might, it might not land in this room, but we got it. We both got it. <laughs> like, yeah, because this is what it feels like sometimes. Like, Enjoy the moment because this thing feels like it's going down in flames. It sounds morbid. It's a very romantic way of being morbid. But the church can be tragic. Some of us think about the church and our heart sinks in epic despair. And you still come to church. You sneak in the back. And you leave right after because you can't stand to get your heart broken again by her. You just can't stand it. You can't stand it to happen again. But when we come to the scriptures, Paul won't allow us to stay in that place of epic despair for long. He won't let our hearts sink too much into despair before he pulls back the curtain of our current reality, however painful and tragic it may be, to show us the potential of Jesus' church. Like this is what it was meant to be, and this is it. 
He says, the church is his body, the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. What is he saying? First of all, how can he say that? Has he ever been to church? How in the world can he say, oh, the, the church is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way? Like, wait, Paul, sometimes you think that Paul is like a blogger who doesn't experience anything he's blogging about, but like <laughs> is stuck in, a, in like a, a hotspot zone on the Starbucks somewhere and just writing about stuff he has no idea about. But that's not true at all. That's not true. He knows the church. He's been hurt by the church, both emotionally and physically. And he's been helped by the church, both emotionally and physically. He's seen it all. And he says, under the inspiration of God, the church is his body, the fullness of Christ. Now, what does that mean? We are his body. What does it mean that we are the fullness? We, Real San Francisco, and a part of Christ's larger body, much larger body. What does it mean that we're the fullness of Christ? Well, that word fullness in the original language in Greek is, is pleroma, which, which means um, uh, something at its fullest potential or completeness. So what Paul is saying is that we are the fullest potential of Christ or the completeness of Christ or the fullness of Christ. Now, translators will point out to us that to understand the way Paul is using this Greek word, you have to understand the Old Testament concept of Shekinah. Shekinah, I don't know if you've ever heard of this Hebrew word, Shekinah. It literally means the dwelling and refers to God's glorious presence. What, what translators will say is that Paul's like imaginary world, he's pulling the idea of Shekinah into this word, uh, pleroma, this idea of fullness of God. See, the idea of this word, Shekinah, is God's presence and God's glory manifested in a local spot where God's presence fills that spot. It fills it up. And it fills up that spot or that location. That spot is a place referred to that is filled up by God's presence as Shekinah. Examples of this would be in, in the Exodus when God delivers his people from slavery and he's leading them through the wilderness. And it says that he led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That manifestation, the cloud or the fire, is Shekinah. Or when God filled the tabernacle or the temple with, with his presence, that is called the Shekinah. It's where God was making his presence and power felt. Like you knew God was there, right there in that spot. And he was more right there in that spot than he was over there in that other place. He's here, and he's more here than he is over there. Shekinah was when you knew God was, was more here than there. That's what Shekinah was. Like, okay, I, in the temple, God is here, and he's somehow more here than he is outside the walls of this place. I mean, he's everywhere. There's this idea uh, in Psalm 139 that where can I go from your spirit? God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But there's something about the Shekinah presence of God where he's more here than he is over there. In other words, God's Shekinah is the dynamic self-presentation of God rather than the observation of a static universal presence of God. Like God's everywhere. But Shekinah was, no, no, God's everywhere, but God is really, really here. And this concept of Shekinah lies at the very core of Jewish theology. That God came into a specific place in time to deliver his people and to be present with his people. And this is the very core of the Christian faith. That, that Jesus and Jesus dwells in Shekinah of God. The very presence of God dwells among us. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians, and Paul himself is a, a Jewish scholar. His, he's saying that this is exactly what the church is. That the church 
is the body of Christ that manifests the fullness of Christ in a local spot. That the church is where Christ is making his presence and power felt. That the church is the place where the dynamic self-presentation of God is made visible. The church is the place where Christ is more here than there. There is something about the church. When the church gathers, Christ is more here than he is a block away. That's what this, that, that when the church gathers, the fullness of Christ is more there. Is Christ everywhere? Yes. Omnipresent God. But when the church gathers, there's the fullness of Christ. Like he's more there. That's what this means. The fullness, the pleroma, the completeness, all of who God is shows up in a particular place. Now that sounds super great, but what do we make of that? What do we do with that? Well, many of us see the church as a place where we show up to affirm we believe in something, which is fine, which is good. Like church, you show up, you're like, I'm going to show up to church today because I believe in Jesus. I'm going to show up today, I'm going to affirm that I believe in God or I believe in community or whatever. And that's a part of it and that's good. I'm glad that you're here to do that. But more than that, the church is to be a place, a space, where we discern Christ's real presence and submit to his concrete rule. The church is to be a space where we together as a church discern, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll break down what I mean by church in a second, but the church is to be a space where we discern Christ is really here. And then let's all submit together to what Christ is doing right now under his rule. The power of the gathered church is not so much in the fact that we have come to affirm we believe in something, which is that is good, but the power of the gathered church is when we gather to discern what Christ's presence wants us to do together and that, then submit together to his tangible rule in that area. So what does Christ want us to do? Well, Christ wants us to do many things. He wants us to bring peace, forgiveness, wholeness, holiness, reconciliation, truth, Okay, so then the church, the, the purpose and the hope of the church and the fullness of Christ is to discern one of those things or those things and then go, how then do we submit to that together? And when we do, when we submit to one of those things or all of those things, Christ's fullness shows up, meaning Christ is here more than he is there. Let me give you, I, I know this might be um, maybe a bit to abstract. Let me try to give you a more concrete example of what I'm talking about. The often quoted verse around the idea that Christ is present when we gather is taken from Matthew 18, and it goes like this. And you've probably heard this quoted in many prayers, maybe at the opening of all of your community groups. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Or the paraphrase is, or the old King James is, um, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of thee. And that's usually what we quote. And we say that in prayer. Where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of thee. There is a great, that's a great verse. And we hear it quoted all the time about church or Bible study or community group. When two or three people gather, Jesus is there. And we're like, yeah, that's easy. Just show up with someone, like, boom, Jesus is here. This is awesome. Look at how great this is. Okay, yes, but that's not really the context is talking about a very specific kind of way Jesus is there. Where Jesus is more in this space than he is in another space. You might say 
a manifestation of the fullness of Christ? How is that presence of Christ discerned? How do we discern that Christ is more here when two or three are gathered than he is somewhere else? Well, look at the context of this verse. Let me read it to you more broadly. It starts in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Do you see the context now? It's talking about coming together, two to three people or more, when you come together and you practice a very specific kind of reconciliation. When you practice forgiveness, when you practice wholeness, and when you practice holiness. When you practice these things and do them well, Christ shows up in a palpable, concrete way where you're like, Christ is here right now, more so than he was like 30 minutes ago. It's not just when, like, you're gathering, you're grabbing a beer with someone, and you're like, cheers, where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of thee. Like, <laughs> Jesus is like, um, no. <laughs> not, not yet, at least. I want to be there, but you have to start doing my stuff first. Do my stuff, and then I'll show up in a way that I'm, um, it's going to be different. Start confessing. Start doing the hard work, work of reconciliation. Start forgiving. Start calling each other to wholeness and holiness. Then, when you're doing that, I will show up in such a powerful way that you will, you will know that I am there. You will know I'm there. When you are, you are having um, a beverage with a friend and you're just talking about movies, Jesus is, is there but not really there. You can't just stop and go, whoa, Jesus is like really here right now. Like that movie, like, no. When you start to start confessing and then someone offers you forgiveness and then clarity and then truth and then reconciliation, you look at the other person like, Jesus is here right now. He is here to where I know he's here. I see him manifest. I feel, I, I can sense the presence of God. Now, we would much rather go, let's play some really good music and get the presence of God here. Because that's way funner and way easier. And that's true. That's, that's, that, that is powerful. And that's important. But this is the stuff that Jesus says, this is how you show the world that I'm there. When, I mean, there's a lot to say about Matthew 18. And we should come back to this as a community sometime soon. But I will say this now. The point of Matthew 18 is not punishment. It's not vindication. It's not winning. It's not being right. The point of Matthew 18 is reconciliation. The point is healing. And the point is the restoration of fellowship. It's not about who will win this argument, but about Jesus' presence being known in a place and through that, God's rule breaking into a local place. So when, you're, when you go to someone and you, and you point out a fault or a sin or a disagreement, the point is to go, I want to show them that they're wrong. And I want to show that I'm right. That is not the point. If you go in like that, you will fail every single time. The point is, how do I reconcile with this person? And how do we discern God's presence among us? And how do we invite the presence of God in to that? 
How do we do that? How do we allow Christ to show up? And then it says we're two or three, because if it's two people, then, but if they need a third party, Jesus is like two, or if you can't agree with the two, get someone else, where two or three are there, and you guys are working, doing the work of reconciliation, I will show up. Now I say this, I use this example specifically and pastorally today, because I've witnessed Christ show up in reconciliation over the past months in our church staff, and our eldership. And the very hard work of reconciliation, I've seen the presence of Christ in His fullness. I've seen the presence of Christ more so in reconciliation meetings than the, the, the craziest worship set I've ever experienced, where I knew Jesus is here. And I felt heard and seen, and the other person felt the same way, and Christ was there more here than outside the room. Like, Christ is more here than he is a block away. He's here. But it's hard work. Work I'm not particularly good at, but work I desire for our church to be good at, myself included, doing that hard work. This year, this last year, Toby Kurth, pastor of Christ Church, who came and spoke to us about reconciliation, and Kevin Cook who, Cook, who taught on reconciliation at the beginning of the year, they both prayed that we would become a church that becomes a reconciling agent in our city. And I believe that that is going to be true about us. But we have to learn how to practice it as a discipline with one another first. It has to be practiced in our community groups reconciliation has to be practiced in our neighborhoods as we roommate with people from other churches or even our own church. It needs to be practiced this way. And as we do, I believe we will see the presence of God made manifest.